0: Guys, welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, registered dietitian.
1: And I'm Sophie Bertrand, registered nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast.
0: Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc.
1: Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is.
0: I don't even know what we do. This week we are sponsored by Tree of Life, which is an amazing company aimed at making health easy by providing you and your family a wide range of delicious whole foods. They
1: cater to all sorts of diets. So if you're vegan or gluten-free or dairy-free for whatever reason, they have so many different options including pastas, cooking sauces, different snacking options, chocolates, etc. They
0: sent us an amazing package. Um, I'm really excited to try their Manuka honey as well as restocking up on my chia seeds.
1: I'm really loving their oat milk. They do different types of oat milk as well. So one is really foamable for if you're making your coffees or matcha lattes and Um, the other one is enriched with extra calcium and vitamin D and B vitamins so again if you're vegan it's a really good plant drink alternative.
0: They also offer a wide range of soil association certified organic products for the health of your family and the planet. One of their goals is to make health easy and that includes the health of our planet and the communities they work with around the world.
1: Many of their foods are sourced through fair share partnerships and they are on a mission to find improved ways to package the products that are sustainable for the environment.
0: If you guys want to try out the delicious products from Tree of Life head to their website www.treeoflifefoods.co.uk sign up to their newsletter and get 20% off your next order. Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. We are here with Row Huntress, fertility dietitian. Hi Ro. Hey guys,
1: really nice to be here with you. So excited to have you since actually just before I fell pregnant, I was like obsessed with food for fertility, prenatal nutrition, um, and you've obviously got a lot more experience and expertise than I do. So we're really excited to have you on.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it's one of those things, like even if you're not um, thinking about conceiving soon, it's just something that everyone should be aware of and we just want to make sure that like people have all the information that they need when they need it before they need it
2: yeah completely agree and I think that um there is a lot of talk and a lot of chatter around this subject now so I think that the awareness is really starting to increase and I think it's starting to increase from people who are you know like say women or even you know men of like a reproductive age but also I think from like the healthcare professionals point of view as well in terms of dietitians and nutritionists I think within that industry we're actually realizing how powerful nutrition can be Mm -hmm. and so many people are now wanting to work in this area too so so it's really great to see from that perspective also
0: definitely so how did you get started in this um like it's quite a niche area it's definitely a niche, and
2: so I'm I'm 34, no children currently, but I do um, I I do hope to have children maybe like in a few years time. And you know the thing for me is that it's just not quite been the right time, mainly to do with career. Dare I say, even like social life, traveling. You know all these things that I just don't feel that I'm a bit of a Peter Pan. I don't feel like I'm quite ready to to like to give up yet. But um, kind of even before that, um, I had friends come to me knowing that I worked as a dietitian when, you know, when, when me and my friends were kind of like late 20s, and some of them were having um, fertility issues and fertility struggles. And they came to me knowing that I was a dietitian and hoping that I would have the answer to all of those questions. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I've got, you know, general nutrition knowledge and nutrition around certain clinical conditions. But at that time, I, I wasn't a fertility specialist. Um, and it's not so, it's not as easy as oh you go and pick up a manual and then and then you know everything like you kind of you you can do that for certain clinical conditions like when you train as a dietitian you know right here's the guidance for diabetes here's the guidance for Crohn's but with fertility there's nothing like that so you have to do pretty much you know as it is at the moment like hours and hours mm. of work of, of reading of you know like networking working with other healthcare professionals to kind of build the expertise so it's something that's built gradually really over the past um you know five six years or so um and then now yeah I just feel that because I started up my Instagram page about it it was like fertility.dietitian.uk started that up um coming up to 18 months ago now but I'm just really grateful to to have that platform and I do think that there's kind of two audiences as we mentioned before so those who are trying to conceive actually there's a real interest there for people for, for like nutritionists and dietitians
1: um who have an interest in that area too 100 and i think it's so important that we do this episode as well because from all the research i've done in like the cpd days and the training it's so clear that women aren't really thinking about food for food for fertility unless they're like oh i, I want to have a baby now i instantly want to have a baby let me check my diet like and it, i was the same i was like oh my god like I was very open, I was, like, I was having yeah. very long cycles, I was like I don't even know if I'm ovulating, mm. let me check I'm doing everything nutritionally and it's so instant and it can be really overwhelming so I'm really passionate about trying to get this information across ahead of that yeah. so that people feel more prepared when they do feel like they want to try for a baby.
2: Yeah absolutely and I think you know with with us and I guess like you know the audiences that we have on Instagram for example you know our our platforms are the perfect kind of ones really to share this information to show Mm -hmm. well one we maybe need to start thinking about things a little you know a little bit sooner than as you say than just like being in the moment but also knowing the potential power behind it and what it is
1: able to positively influence. 100%.
0: I've mentioned this on a podcast episode before but like I think one of my biggest fears is like spending my entire twenties trying not to get pregnant to only find out that I actually can't get pregnant. And it's one of those things that I think a lot of women think about. Um, but it's like, I've never actually done anything about it, if that makes sense. Like I've come off my birth control and stuff and just started tracking my regular cycle, but like, I've never actually taken the time to like do anything more, but I'm aware of it, but it's conversations like these that I think a lot of people will be able to, I think will be in a similar situation.
2: Yeah. And I think that say, if, you know, if you're not necessarily trying to conceive at the moment, it's not that you need to get into the fine detail and mm. the gritty and the supplementation and different things like that, but just generally even, you know, following a generally healthy diet, you know, that whole, that whole eighty twenty 20 approach, just even by doing that and following healthy eating healthy living principles you're going to be helping yourself
1: mm, 100%. So what i mean let's say someone is planning on having a baby in i don't know 1 to 5 years what can they start doing now in terms of diet just maybe simple things that you would recommend like you said not necessarily supplementing straight away but in regards to food choices. Yeah so in
2: terms of and and keeping fertility in mind so if we're not going to go you know too specific the mm. the general dietary pattern that has shown to be very effective in overall fertility management is the Mediterranean diet. So that is the same for women who are trying to conceive it's the same for men and like enhancing sperm parameters it's the same for um enhancing IVF outcomes as well so it's not like oh we're needing to think about really really fine details it's Mm. that dietary pattern so you know a diet rich in you know fruits vegetables nuts seeds um oily fish whole grains um and then so just thinking of your diet in that kind of respect I think is a really good starting point and um, you know, also not that weight is the be all and end all, however, it can on both ends of the BMI scale, it can affect fertility. So as opposed to, you know, getting to a point where like, oh, eek, I need to do something about it. I'm told by my GP or whoever I need to do something about it. And I need to do quickly. If you're, you know, if you are planning to conceive at some point in the future, trying to get towards, um, uh, you know, a, a healthy weight or one that's not, not too low, not, not too high that it, it's going to optimize chances. So mm. I guess it's just, I guess it's just having those things in mind.
1: I love that you brought up men as well,
2: because they have a role to play, right? <laughs> yeah. And don't like, doesn't everybody forget it? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> and you know, cause it's the women who, um, women who talk about it. And I think like the women themselves, like we, we take responsibility yeah, for this. hundred percent. Like, we, we don't own the full responsibility and you know men contribute to um you know up to 50 percent of the cases of of infertility yeah. wow um, so yeah so it, it's and again this is something that we do need to talk about and I think that that conversation is growing I think that voice is getting louder and it's not it's not blaming or anything like that it's more just an awareness. And the yeah. fact that we we know that we can do things to to support you know both sides of that coin.
1: Am I right in thinking as well that the men's sperm, in terms of its quality, is like a ninety day turnover? Yeah, so it's in terms of um like
2: sperm generation, if you like, and 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 the time period in which yet yeah, yet yeah, it's it's then created so it's that that window of yeah around about two and a half months Mm -hmm. and um during that time and it's the same with um egg development as well leading up to ovulation and that's around kind of like 90 to 90 to 100 days but when you think roughly this three-month window what we do this is for men and women inclusive of you know what we eat Um, what we drink, our lifestyles, uh, you know, alcohol, caffeine, stress, Mm. all these things can play a part both in terms of sperm and sperm quality, and then also egg quality as well. So that, and it's a nice way to think about it as well, because some people think, oh God, my choices have not been so great for the past three years, five years, however long, but that, you know, that's not the be all and end all. And we do actually have this really important, Important and influential window of opportunity, both in men and women. um You know where we can try and do everything as best as we can mm-hmm. to optimise the quality of both
1: uh, both our egg and then sperm too. So, would you say that kind of three months, if you you know you're planning to have a baby? Um, maybe that three month window is really the most important in a sense, because obviously when we get to our first trimester, a lot of us are nauseous and experience sickness Mm -hmm. and we can't stomach anything nutritious. Mm -hmm. So knowing that you've had a really good lead up to trying for that baby, does that make a difference?
2: Yeah, yeah, it it, it does make it it does make a difference. But then at the same time, you know, because some people might fall pregnant, without actually, you know, when it wasn't planned. So, you know, for those people, it's not to necessarily say, you know, it, it's you don't need to worry about it. We can't change what 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 the past was. In terms of this three month window, really, it's just in terms of the, you know, that that chance of of conception. Um, but you know, when we talk about um our you know babies' health and even like their DNA. Mm-hmm. um you know ev- what we do what we eat and our lifestyle it all um it all affects it and it, it influences it which i find it um find yeah just find it incredibly interesting that like yeah our behaviors our diets can kind of like shape the genetics of our children
0: yeah, yeah I love it it is like a crazy, crazy thing to think about. Um, you mentioned caffeine and alcohol. I'm just curious, um, like the, the effects of caffeine and alcohol when you're trying for a baby is, is that always people should, you know, cut back or is that if you're struggling or is that kind of like best case scenario?
2: So, so yeah, with caffeine, the same recommendations really exist uh, for women who are trying to conceive as when they are pregnant, which is keeping caffeine to under 200 milligrams per day. Um, And it's just basically, it's just based on the research and some of the research has been, um, you would have, uh, say it could be a longer time to pregnancy if you had, uh, if you had higher caffeine intake and also things like miscarriage as well. So a higher caffeine intake Um, can unfortunately increase the risk of miscarriage, but at least we know that and we know that and therefore we can advise people in that capacity Um, And also in terms of men, I would say the evidence isn't as strong for what it is for women. However, I think it's good to take a cautious approach. Um, And I mean, for anybody in terms of general health, it's not really advised that we have over 400 milligrams of of caffeine per day anyway. So I think for men to definitely keep under that, but I don't think there's any harm in kind of keeping to a similar recommendation to women of, of around about that Yeah. Two hundred, maybe like three hundred milligrams for them.
0: That's good to know. I'll have to gradually wean myself <laughs> down when I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I think I was so desperate in the moment as well that I literally just
1: cut out caffeine. I just started drinking decaf everything. Um, I probably drink. How did you? How did you find it when you did? i out? I'm not one of those people who relies on caffeine. I really yeah. enjoy going for a coffee socially. Um, you know when we can in this pandemic um but I I just simply just switched to decaf and then I'd have my matcha because that was a lot lower yeah um so yeah I was very mindful of that and then I also made the decision not to drink alcohol again I don't really drink it that much anyway but if the opportunity presents itself I would just say no
2: yeah and I mean alcohol is a really really challenging one because um you know it's it's a part of you know in the western Life. world in yeah. the uk you know it plays a part in a lot of people's yeah. lives right doesn't it so um but th- when it comes to fertility the the evidence is to try to abstain mm. um for best outcomes and there seems to be kind of a like a dose dependent response so mm. the more alcohol people have the more difficulties they may face um when you know when trying to get pregnant but it's difficult because you know I could quite easily say that, but, you know, some people might have been trying to conceive for three years, mm-hmm. or five years. So does that mean that they can't have any alcohol in that time? No, mm, no yeah. it doesn't. So you've just got to you've just got to find that balance um, and, you know, talking it through with, you know, fertility specialists or a dietitian, dietician, you know, we, we can help to try and find, you know, the, the thing that's going to be best for you.
0: I yes. think
1: what's just most important as well is to be so is just to be equipped with this knowledge so yes. you can make an informed decision. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I, agree. I also think like I always thought like when you would try for a baby, I don't know where I got this from. Like it was always just like you cut out alcohol because you don't actually know when you're gonna fall pregnant and you don't really know. And you might be like four weeks, five weeks till you actually know and that's not something that you want to be doing while you are in those yes. early stage when things are a bit more, you know, unsure.
2: Yeah. And I think that's still an incredibly and one of, you know, the most yeah I- I important reasons for not. Um, so, again, that's another thing to kind of like bundle into this uh, into this equation. So we certainly shouldn't be drinking to excess. And if you are actively trying to conceive or you're not on contraception and you do drink alcohol, you just need to be really mindful of it. And as Sophie said, it's just about having it's having that knowledge that that awareness that understanding for you to then make an
0: informed decision yeah i love that and so i want to talk about prenatals again i feel like there's so many like things that i've like heard in my lifetime where like i understand why people are saying them Like, I understand the science, but, like, it's funny when you reflect back when you, like, heard this when you were, like, 12 and, like, it's really stuck with you. But, like, um, I remember one of my girlfriends when I was younger, like, she really struggled with her hair and nails Mm. and someone told her to go into prenatal because you know, this, when she went on a prenatal that like her hair and nails improved, and she's like, no, I don't want to like get pregnant. And it was just interesting that, that people think if you go in a prenatal, it'll increase your risk of pregnancy. But like, is that because, you know, they were not taking the right nutrients before. So if you were trying to get pregnant, you'd be more likely to get pregnant. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So it was always yeah, like, so, it was so just a you weird thing. Does the,
2: does the prenatal, does it enhance like
0: chances of conception? Yeah, that's yeah, that was like the, the myth yeah. growing up.
2: Well, the thing is, so yeah, because people will think, oh yeah, we're taking a prenatal um to basically ensure that your baby, you have the, the 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 kind of like the optimal amount of and type of nutrients for for the for the health of your baby, but no, it it does actually play a part in fertility as well. So all like the, the micronutrients that are within the, the prenatal, you know, that they're, they're all in there for a reason, or at least most of them are in there for a reason and it can play a part because say for example even like you know b12 deficiency can be a reason for infertility a risk factor for infertility um and you know all these and it's like other things like uh like vitamin e can help with like implantation Mm -hmm. vitamin b6 can help to you know raise progesterone levels which could support implantation so all these little nutrients kind of play um, play part of a role, and like fertility, like it's it's quite there's quite a few different steps to the process mm-hmm. of actually then getting the you know the result of of having a baby. So it's it's very fascinating and it's very intricate. And actually, you know, having worked as a dietitian and mainly working in uh, areas such as weight management and diabetes. Of course, we focused on the quality of the diet, but really where we looked were kind of macronutrients, calories, um, and now working in fertility, the, the focus is much more on the micronutrients, mm-hmm. obviously taking the macronutrients into consideration, but it's, it's, it's cool for me as well. Cause I, I've now started, you know, exploring nutrition and it's, you know, that nutritional therapy in a whole new light. Mm.
1: yeah and should males be taking preconception supplements I I'm not a hundred percent sure
2: because I the evidence seems to be stronger for women taking a prenatal than men and where the evidence seems to lie with men is like higher dose antioxidant supplementation and when you would get say antioxidants within a prenatal they would kind of be lower Mm -hmm. um but you know where it can be good is if and you know a lot of people don't if your diet isn't nutritionally complete and you think that there's gaps then something like that can help
0: Mm -hmm. and so it, it
2: it wouldn't do any harm but we don't know you know say like on on the male side we we don't know exactly um you know whether that might result in more live births for example if we were looking mm. at looking at a research trial but there was i i i wouldn't i wouldn't discourage somebody from doing it
1: yeah that's good to know when i was doing my research there was a few interesting studies about the uh, link between plant-based diets and enhancing fertility can yeah. You expand? <laughs>
2: yeah so you can kind of like look at it from a couple of different angles so when the, there's been a few observational studies mm. um, and looking at diet quality and then looking at outcomes and kind of comparing different diets and then seeing what, what, what outcomes came out of what diet, if you like. Um, and, and yeah, there the, the were a couple of um, points about plant-based diets. So they say, for example, Um, plant-based protein
1: yeah
2: that's exactly what I found yeah yeah so research to date has suggested that and it doesn't need to be an exclusive plant-based diet yeah but it showed that um, having more plant-based protein supported ovulation um in in women so that's Th- that is some of the guidance you know mm-hmm. that, that, that we give people to we're not we're not saying that people need to go vegan or plant-based but to try and include some plant-based days and certainly some plant-based protein similarly in terms of fats as well because saturated fat we get more from say our animal products unsaturated unsaturated we get more from kind of like plant-based also you, you know your oily fish as well but mm-hmm. um and unsaturated fats tend to tend to produce better outcomes so we do kind of look at that plant-based shift and we do try and you know influence that to to our clients however then the flip side to think about is if you are vegan and if you are plant-based then there's certainly nutrients that you need to consider Mm. um, because obviously by cutting certain food groups out we're also um, it means that we're potentially cutting certain nutrients out as well so there are quite a few um that we need to think about that are linked to fertility um so like you know vitamin b12 is an obvious one um, but even things like iron things like zinc things like selenium things like choline um there's you know omega-3 uh iodine there's quite a lot that we have to look at and all of those actually play quite an important role in this preconception journey so you know if you hear all right oh a plant-based diet that might that might help me to get pregnant don't don't just do it without considering you know the wider nutritional provision of that diet
0: yeah 100 percent
1: What's your take on choline? Because I find it so interesting that such an important micronutrient Mm. in pregnancy, but it's very rarely found in a prenatal. Yeah, no, it isn't.
2: And, but again, I think with this, I think that it's another awareness thing Mm. and it's something that hasn't really been on people's agenda. There's something that, it's something that there isn't enough research around it and there needs to be. And there isn't actually, when I talk about it, there isn't actually um, research that, um, says that it improves fertility per se. It's more. Uh, it's more the benefits in terms of, say, like uh, neural tube um, Defects, defect prevention, yeah. and and I suppose like the, the health of the the health of the baby. You know, like post conception. But I still talk about it because it because it, it, it's just it's really important yeah. it's really important and i yeah i just think it's great now that that conversation is happening and it's a nutrient now that kind of people are they are familiar with and they are starting to hear about it so we just need to yeah keep that conversation going but you are right in that it's not found in in many prenatals um it isn't a couple um but yeah that's why you know as as dietitians as nutritionists we need to discuss these kind of things with our clients
1: and would you recommend taking a choline supplement alongside a prenatal or if you are plant-based for instance? Uh, yeah. Okay. I think again, that, that was just something I only found out through my yeah. own research. And I, I yeah. do think we are talking about it more, but not enough people know that. Yeah, no, I agree. That's
0: so interesting. Especially when you mentioned neural tube defects, like I, I haven't studied prenatal nutrition because it's just not something that I've been interested to do continuing education on. Um, and we were always taught like folate folic acid etc but like I was never taught anything about choline like in my training
2: mm. no, I no nobody was really and then it was, I know, you know, it's crazy then me and Sophia kind of like you're buried in all these research studies, <laughs> yeah. and they we're like oh oh actually this is quite important yeah um but yeah it's kind of like bundled with with folate and those two kind of play a a, a very important role mm. that's so interesting
1: there's also research that I found saying that full fat dairy versus non-fat dairy is more optimal when trying to conceive. So, yeah. So again, so this came
2: from from an observational study and it was quite a large one. I think it was like 18 and a half um, thousand women. And and again, it was due to kind of like ovulatory function. Mm. And um, this big piece of research, it, it did say suggest that those that had um higher fat dairy again had had better outcomes and um, so it's it's it, it's different because obviously it's very it's different to public health advice yeah and normally it's kind of like low fat di- dairy that's uh that's advocated and one of the it's not we can't say that it's been proven because nothing's really backed it up since yeah um but because there is that kind of chance that it it could have that effect you, that's why you will often see um full fat dairy advocated over over the lower fat
1: varieties yeah and I guess um, if you are trying why not you know yeah because the thing I prefer is, full you know,
0: fat anyways
1: <laughs> yeah and I mean when
2: Cause I think like in terms of saying, you know, like the public health guidance, they think thinking from like a calorie point of view and yeah, saturated fat as well, but like the calories really for, you know, in like one glass of milk from semi skim to, to full fat, it's, you know, it, it's not huge. Mm. It's not huge. Yeah. And so, so yeah, with that potential benefit there, that is why you see that that, that, that advice being given
0: do you think that has to do with just like the dietary fats and the positive impact on like hormone levels and stuff like do you think that is that's the link
2: so that was the in this paper that was the hypothesis kind of Mm. about about the effect on hormones um but also you know potentially like um fat soluble vitamins as well but um but yeah the hypothesis was was around hormone levels
0: That's so interesting. What the one thing that kind of stuck out to me through this whole conversation is, and I love when this happens and other topics that we do is that generally the advice for kind of, you know, optimal fertility through nutrition is really not far off what we would, you know, recommend anyone else, except those little micronutrient, like optimizations specifically for fertility, but it is kind of just like a healthy, well-balanced diet, isn't it?
2: And that, that's why I kind like of said at the beginning that people don't need to, you know, you don't need to get too stressed mm,
0: yeah. about like
2: the minute details, because if you if you eat healthily in inverted commas, you right. know, you're going to be you're going to be doing a lot of the right things. One one thing that um, I have noticed in, in the literature as well, and it is, um, you know, it's in line with Mediterranean diet as well, because the total carbohydrate intake in the Mediterranean diet is slightly lower than what? kind of like you know uk public health guidances it's kind of like you know 40 percent carbs instead of 50 percent carbs roughly but you know some researchers said that a higher glycemic load um can have poorer fertility outcomes so like a glycemic load for the listeners if if people aren't aware is um when you have it's kind of encompasses both the both the quantity of carbohydrate and also the glycemic index if you've got high glycemic load it's often um, like a, a higher total amount of carbohydrate and, and higher glycemic index so we want to go for kind of like a lower um a lower glycemic load all in all so that that's kind of like an additional thing to to bear in mind and especially so for people with pcos
0: mm. yeah and i was just thinking like i know for i did a i did some further research on like um type 1 diabetics and um their cycle and type one diabetics have more regular cycles and it's due to insulin and progesterone. And there's kind of that link there. So it does not surprise me that there, that is also seen in pregnancy as yeah. well.
2: Yeah.
1: No, it's fascinating. I love
0: being something... able to like make those links. Mm.
1: Yeah. It's, it is really interesting. And something that pops up in the research quite often as well is folate versus folic acid. Mm. Is, is that something you can talk about? Because again, when I was researching it, it, was kind of like, well, some people don't have the same bioavailability, but it's like, how do we know? Like, should we be taking? Should we all be taking folate or folic acid version? So, when you say folate, do you mean like methylated
2: folate? Yeah. Like sorry. Yeah. Form? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we when we consume, uh, so this is all all what we're talking about here is vitamin B nine. Mm-hmm. So when we consume vitamin B nine from food, it's it's in the form of folate and then the supplement version the kind of like synthetic version is is folic acid and that's kind of like you know in 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 the guidance as to what we should have 400 milligram most people uh, 400 micrograms of um of of, of folic acid now there is another because basically with folic acid it needs to be um it's not in its active form Mm. So it needs to go through a process to then be available in, in that form. So it's then being so it's then able to the body is then able to use it. So there is another supplement which is methylated folate, and that's basically that is in the active form. Um, and as you were saying before, Sophie, some people have uh like a a a genetic variant that doesn't allow them to uh transform if you like the uh, folic acid into methylfolate so this is why we see quite a few people um quite a few people go for the methylated version because there's there's links i don't want to kind of like scaremonger or or Mm. or anything Mm. and so I don't want to go into it in too much detail without fully explaining it but it can lead to fertility issues in some people if they have low folate levels because they're not able to convert into the right form and also um, it has been linked to miscarriage as well so if people aren't able to convert it um mm. yeah it can lead to issues so what what we're seeing um more and more of now is is uh, a lot of prenatal supplements they now contain meth- uh, methyl folate mm. instead of folic acid the only issue with this is and again this is all about transparency is the research um talks about folic acid and neural tube defect prevention and mm. it doesn't talk about methylated folate because we just don't have that data However, in theory, it's just having a high level of folate in the blood, really, um, you know, that prevents the neural tube defect. So on paper, in theory, it should be absolutely fine, but we still need to kind of uh, be transparent when we are giving that advice
1: yeah it's so difficult to obtain this research as well because it it kind of has to be observational you know (laughs) or you can't just start putting you know pregnant people on the line and (laughs) well exactly because it the issue is with with this kind of research is uh, the ethical considerations
2: so it would be very difficult to get a study like that through an ethical board Mm -hmm. to say oh yeah let's give something that you know not that it would, but you know, if it's going to put a baby at risk, yeah, or there's a potential for it, then it's just not likely that we'll have it. However, you know, having worked in this industry for you know for, for however long, I've never come across any issues with anybody using methylfolate. Yeah, that's
0: really interesting.
2: And speaking to you know dietitians as well, really experienced dietitians uh, from from Australia because they're really good in terms of their their fertility they nutrition. Are, yeah. Um, and speaking to them, it's great to be able to speak to them from you know like across. The pond um and,
1: and
2: and they have you know they have exactly the same
0: viewpoint on
1: that that's really interesting
0: i love that and i don't know but there's always like the odd chance that like you might not be able to absorb a nutrient like tons of people who eat meat are b12 deficient because they don't have like high functioning intrinsic factors so there's always yeah. like a risk but i guess yeah. when it comes to pregnancy um you might not be aware of it your whole life and it hasn't been an issue until it's an issue kind of thing
2: yeah and I would say you know it's not that everybody needs to go and like change their prenatal and go and take methylated folate go and speak to somebody about Mm. it like go and and speak to a specialist but if you've been struggling to conceive for a very long time or if you've suffered recurrent miscarriages it could be something to consider yeah Yeah, that's so
0: important one thing that I found confusing is the lack of like coherent guidelines from country to country in terms of like recommendations. And I was reading this thing that I forgot where I read it, but women in Japan find the idea that we recommend, you know, no raw fish or, you know, I guess that's more during pregnancy. Um, But they find that kind of ridiculous because they're, they're encouraged to eat that type of food and it it really or just like aged cheeses and things like that there's there's so much discrepancy and it's so culturally based is do you find that difficult working with people like do you see that come up
2: yeah I I think the majority of my clients really are in the UK so I I don't see that so much, but yeah, it, it, I mean it's it's pretty wild, isn't it? Yeah, that, that people in in Japan are kind of advised that way, but it, that that's very much a part of their lifestyle. Culture, so yeah, do, exactly. So you just wonder whether you know their their ability to consume these kind of foods, whether they're, there's some kind of like either genetic predisposition or something in terms of like their, you know, gut microbiome or, yeah. you know, something that enables them to do it. Cause it's certainly just cause they do it in Japan. It's certainly not going to be something that I would advocate to, to my yeah. clients, but it's really interesting though. It is.
0: And even when you said like fol- folic acid, like I think you said 400 micrograms and I'm pretty sure for prenatal in America, it's 600.
1: Yeah, it is. And then so I think it, in Australia, it's 800 yeah right? so it's yeah
0: it's like we all have the same research studies yet we all come to a different number
2: yeah and I do feel sometimes that like some of
1: these numbers are a bit of guesswork yeah <laughs> well again like you said it's so difficult to test this on pregnant yeah. people so
2: yeah but yeah no, it would be good to get a bit more uh, consistency internationally for sure but to be honest You know, before we even get there, we need some actually solid guidelines in the in the UK, because that was something, you know, as I said, you know, when I came into this sector, it was literally a case of kind of like finding everything out for for, for myself but because we've we've just uh, set up a, a a specialist group so like a maternal and fertility nutrition specialist group as part of the bda which is like the british dietetic association and um what what we've done as part of that is created like some fact sheets Um, they're designed for healthcare professionals to support their patients Um, but like we've created one on uh, female fertility um, and one on male fertility as well and we feel that this is like it's a good starting point Mm. um, in terms of just trying to just offer guidance you know so that we can um, we can ensure that, that that practice is safe whilst optimising outcomes for for our patients. So I'm really excited by that step. But you know, I hope that we can take it further and then actually um, produce these into international guidelines. And then who knows? There may be some kind of like international collaborations.
1: Oh, I, I'm so excited to see the research grow in this in yeah. this field.
2: Yeah, I am too.
1: And um, we had a few specific questions um, I think we've covered a lot of them, but someone said they're planning on trying for a baby in six months. Is it too early to start taking folic acid?
2: Um so when we generally recommend it is kind of, um, you know, three months before conception and. Um, But taking it that little bit earlier, it's, it's not going, it's not going to do any harm. Mm. So if, you know, for for whatever reason, if you're wanting to take it before, it might, it might not give any sort of like additional benefits, but it's, but it's not, it's not likely to do any harm.
1: Okay. And then someone else said, they're hoping to try for a baby once they have the coil removed. Should they be thinking about foods and nutrition to support fertility now or wait until the coil has been removed? (laughs) So yeah,
2: I think it's just always good to, if if we know that we're, that we're planning to conceive at some point, Mm -hmm. it's good to start thinking about um, diet and lifestyle, but you can do that in a gentle way, you know, like as we've been discussing already, just with that general, you know, like Mediterranean style diet, not too high in like saturated fats and your sugars and you know, and other things like that. And then when you are that little bit further down the line, that's when you can start to think about the, the more intricate details.
0: Yeah. yeah. And maybe like taking that time to also just like practice more like stress, like mm-hmm. um stress relief things and like exercise and things. I know we didn't touch on exercise and fertility and we probably um could in another episode, <laughs> but um <laughs> like, I guess maybe also like if you're planning to t- like I would take that time also to like just think about like your your general wellness and then mm. like you said like optimize when you get the coil yeah. taken out
1: yeah definitely awesome well thank you so much Barry is there anything else you want to
0: no I've learned cover? so much like I'm not <laughs> And I feel like it's important for me to be like, yeah, I'm a dietitian, but like, I don't know everything and like, we can't be specialists in everything. And I think it's so important. Like I'm holding my hands up. Like I learned so much because it's not an area of research that I've Mm. really dug into. So I really appreciate like you coming on the podcast and like not only educating the listeners, but like really educating me, like even as another dietitian, I just love that we can always learn from each other and just grow in different specialties. And I think it's so important.
2: Yeah, that's amazing to hear. Yeah, thank you. But yeah, I I I completely, I completely agree. And I think I, I think it, you know, it's great that if, if you do go into a specific area, because yeah, I, I'm not a specialist in say like eating disorders and you know and, and things like that. There's just other things. Um but I, I love listening and like learning from from other colleagues too. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we do niche down and we and we do specialize, our clients get so much more out of it as well. Uh, instead of knowing, um, you know,
1: A little bit what, of everything.
2: <laughs> exactly. Then to, you know, be, be be an expert in, you know, in certain areas, you know, it's, yeah, it just works so well for your clients too.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, Ro has an incredibly resourceful uh, Instagram page. I think you mentioned it, but if you just tell everyone again where we can find you. Ah, yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so my fertility Instagram, it's at
2: fertility.dietitian.uk. Um, and I do have a more kind of general page as me as a, me as a dietitian and kind of like the different things that I do. And that's at dietitian row.
0: Awesome. We'll put those in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, and we hope you have a great week.
2: Thanks guys.
1: Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. And share with your friends if you love this episode. It really does help us get seen in the chart. You can now also order our Forking Wellness book anywhere books are sold. Order it on Amazon Prime for next day delivery.
1: And Barnes & Noble in America. And if you love the book, we would so appreciate a review on Amazon. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and we really hope you enjoy it. We'll speak to you guys next week. Bye.